all of you, all of those who are joining us online, we thank you. Uh, to get started, uh, just a reminder, if you are a voting member, we have our annual business meeting this Saturday at 9 a.m. And youth-hyphen, we have a game night at Pastor's House, my house too, <laughs> on February 4th at between 6 and 9 a.m. If you're not familiar with the term hyphen, uh, that's what we call the group of people who are aged 18 to 35. So if you fall in there, come on over. Uh, youth age is 12 to 18. So if you fall in that age, come on over. We're going to have a good time together. Um, also, February 5th, there will be an usher and greeter training following our service. Um, if you're an usher or a greeter or if you aspire to be, make sure to come to that meeting. Hallelujah. Are you ready to worship God? We're here as we enter his gates. Let's enter with thanksgiving in our hearts. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad, I will rejoice for he has made me glad, he has made me glad, he has made me glad, I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. 
I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we have entered here today to bring you thanksgiving, to bring you praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy of all praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wherever I am, I'll praise Him. Whenever I can, I'll praise Him. For His love surrounds me like a sea. I'll praise the name of Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus for the name of Jesus lifted me. Wherever I am, I'll praise Him. Whenever I can, I'll praise Him. For His love surrounds me like a sea. I'll praise the name of Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus for the name of Jesus lifted me. Wherever I am, I'll praise Him. Whenever I can, I'll praise Him. For His love surrounds me like a sea. I'll praise the name of Jesus, lift up the name of Jesus, for the name of Jesus lifted me. Wherever I am, I'll praise Him whenever I can. I'll praise Him for His love surrounds me like a sea. I'll praise the name of Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus for the name of Jesus lifted me. Wherever I am, I'll praise Him. Whenever I can, I'll praise Him. For His love surrounds me like a sea. I'll praise the name of Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus. For the name of Jesus lifted me. Hallelujah. Will you just go ahead and give him praise? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
praise to you, Jesus. All glory and all honor to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The mighty God is Jesus. The Prince of Peace is He. The everlasting Father. The King eternally. The wonderful in wisdom. By whom all things were made. The fullness of the Godhead in Jesus is displayed. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead is all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus and it's all in Him. Emmanuel, God with us. Jehovah, Lord of hosts, the omnipresent Spirit who fills the universe, the Advocate, the High Priest, the Lamb for sinners slain, the author of redemption, oh glory to His name. It's all in Him, it's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead, it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus and it's all in Him. The Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. The living Word incarnate, the helpless sinner's friend. Our wisdom and perfection, our righteousness and power. Yea, all we need in Jesus, we find this very hour. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead, it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus and it's all in Him. Our God for whom we've waited will be the glad refrain of Israel recreated when Jesus comes again. Lo, He will come and save us, our King and Priest to be. For in Him dwells awfulness, and Lord of all is He. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead, it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus, the Prince of Peace is He. 
Father, the King eternally, though wonderful in wisdom, by whom all things were made, the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus is displayed. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead is all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus and it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead, it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus and it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead is all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in Him. Praise God. Our God is one. Hallelujah, Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. He has revealed Himself in these last days by His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you. We praise you. We laud and we magnify the Almighty God. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are our all in all, our ever-present help in time of need. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence in this place. Hallelujah, Jesus. We do worship you. You are all together and ever worthy of all worship, worthy of all praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're the one that suffered on a cross in my place. You're the one that spilt your blood so that I could be forgiven of my sins. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, so that I can one day live forever with you. The Lord my God, my Savior and my Redeemer, the lover of my soul in whom I trust, Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. He is our all in all, church. He is our everything. Everything that means anything is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. He's everything to us. And we're everything to Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I worship you. I am so enamored by You. What an awesome God. What an awesome God. He is so good. He is so great. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Whatever we need to do, church, to draw nigh unto Him is worth it. 
We need to press in, strive to enter in, whatever is necessary. He desires you. He desires to speak with you, to minister to you. Praise God. Praise God. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1-6 through 6 will be our scripture text today. Thank you for entertaining the presence of God. Thank you for responding to His presence. It's alright to wait upon God. It's alright to minister unto Him a little bit with our worship and with our praise. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1-6 through 6 states this, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burnt with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Amen. I want to pray one more time. Ask the Lord to bless the remainder of His service. We'll be speaking for the remainder of our time on this topic, the difference between suffering and blessing. The difference between suffering and blessing. Let's pray one more time. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for You. Thankful for all that You've done thus far. I pray, Lord Jesus, that there would be a supernatural move here this morning of healing, of ministration, of encouragement. Help them, Lord, I pray, to understand Help them to understand who they are. Help them to understand, Lord Jesus, who you are and what you desire to do. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, minister according to their need. Minister according to our desperate need here this morning, I pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the balm of Gilead. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Bring us to wholeness. Bring us to completion, I pray in you. Hallelujah. Let your name be glorified in our midst today. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated today. In our scripture text, we find... Perhaps a familiar passage of Scripture, Ziklag, is is preached in many sermons, particularly how low they were brought and how God delivered them miraculously and restored everything to them again. But I want to focus this morning on this particular point in time. We know the end of the story. We know that God inquired, David inquired of God, Shall I pursue? Yes, pursue, and you'll take everything. And he obeyed, and he did indeed take everything back. But before that moment, 
He was faced with a very grievous situation. The people underneath him were greatly grieved. They were destroyed. Everything that they loved, everything that they cared for or valued was gone in a moment. All at once. And not only that, but David's wives were gone as well. David, if he wouldn't have been in the position he was, maybe would have succumbed to the same grief. Because all he would have been responsible for is himself. But he was the leader of this group of people. So he didn't have that option. He didn't have that choice to indulge himself like the rest of the people were. I don't know if it was that or if it was just who David was. Maybe both. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. There was nowhere else to encourage himself in. No one around him was going to encourage him. They were just going to bring him all the lower. In fact, they wanted to kill him. We're not going to be able to encourage ourselves in the Lord until we first get the mindset of the Lord, the perspective of God. Typically, when someone says, I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord, we all, we all know what they're quoting, we all know what they mean. But in our heart of hearts, isn't it true sometimes what we really are saying is, God desperately wants me to prosper. God wants to bless me. I'm continuing to trust in the idea that God just wants me to be happy. God will protect me so that I don't come to harm. He doesn't want me to suffer. Well, my question this morning is, what does it mean to God to bless? I know what it means to us, but what does it mean to God, the idea of blessing? What does it mean to God to prosper someone? I fear sometimes his definition and our definition is, off. Revelation 3.17 describes someone who in my mind considers themselves blessed and prosperous. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Most people would consider that person blessed. Prosperous. But Jesus says, You know not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind, and naked. You have nothing. Nothing of value. You're not blessed. You're not prosperous. Even though every outward trapping indicates the exact opposite. 
That man is blessed. He's driving a brand new caddy. He's driving a brand new Ferrari. I can't afford a Ferrari. I can't afford a used one. I can't afford to restore a used one. He's blessed. He's prosperous. Particularly in the Western nations, we view success like that. Financially prosperous. Lots of money in the bank. Got a good paying job. Got a, got a big business. Nothing wrong with having a good paying job. Nothing wrong with having a big business. As long as you keep your priorities right. But is that our focus when we're praying to God to bless us? To prosper us? And who gets to define what these words mean? Us or God? Job and his friends thought they understood the difference. And how and when God would invoke either. If you read through the book of Job, it's interesting. You could sum up the, uh, the friends' arguments. Maybe, obey the law and God will give you honor and riches and long life. Period. No exceptions to that. Rebel against God and you'll suffer God's wrath and you'll not prosper in anything you do. Period. No exceptions to that. And Job, I have to believe, understood that too. Until it happened to him. A righteous man. What is one to do when their entire world view collapses around them? What is one to do when your whole idea of who God is is demonstrated to be false? What do you do with that? God just wants to bless me. God wants to prosper me. Yes, He does. And yes, He does. But how does that look in our lives? Does it look the way we think it's going to look? Job understood something about God until he didn't. Job was righteous and he was confused, folks. He was confused. I don't understand why this is happening to me. Why didn't he understand it? The same reason some Christians today don't understand when bad things happen to them. I'm doing what I know to do to serve God. I'm living righteously and godly in this present age. But yet all of this has befallen me. Why? If we don't have a proper understanding, not only of the character of God, but His perspective on things. Psalm 34 and 19 disagrees with Job's friends. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. It is my desire to encourage us today 
loss, difficult situations, health concerns, financial difficulties, that doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've done something wrong or that you're living in sin. You examine yourself before God. You determine that between you and God. But if not, it could mean the exact opposite, folks. It could mean God is getting ready to bless you. Again, we need to be able we need to see through God's eyes. We need to understand these situations the way God sees them. When God throws this throws us into the middle of these situations, it's for our benefit. It is a blessing to us. We don't see it that way. We don't understand it that way. But that's how God sees it. He's putting us there because He loves us. And He wants to prosper us. And He wants to bless us. We've got to see it for what it is. It is a blessing to us to be in the middle of this trial, this test, this difficult situation. Because when He has tried me, I will come forth as pure gold. Praise God. Do you realize just how much God thinks about you? When you start thinking that God has forsaken me, God is, God is, is he's, he's just left me here. I'm praying and he, He's a million miles away. He doesn't answer. Do you know how much God thinks about you every moment of every day? Psalm 40 and 5 says, Many, O Lord my God, are Thy wonderful works which Thou hast done. And thy thoughts, which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Psalm 139, 17 and 18 says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. God doesn't forsake you. He never has. He never will. We walk away from Him. And he doesn't ever walk away from us. He will never, ever break covenant with you. Not ever. Hardship and difficulty are the way to heaven, folks. If you want to make it to heaven. Matthew 7.13 says, Enter ye at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. The straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. Few there be that find it. <clears throat> Straight, narrow. It's a hard way. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. We will go through circumstances and situations 
for the sole reason that I serve Jesus Christ. It's not a bed of roses. It's not easy street. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But, 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 but. Neither is living out there. And I'll continue to tell you, from the experiences I've had, some of you could tell me even more from the experiences you've had outside of the covenant promises of Jesus Christ. It's a hard life. It's a hard life not serving Jesus. God doesn't promise us bed of roses, but what He does promise us is that He will strengthen us and undergird us and encourage us and walk with us every step of the way through the situations. That's what He promises us. Those situations are for our good. Acts 14.22 says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Why is that? Why do we have to go through all this tribulation to enter into the kingdom of God? Hardship and difficulty are the way we become Christ-like. Romans 5, 3-5 says this, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience. Experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. It begins a work in us that leads to us becoming Christ-like. Revelation 2 and 9 says, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. Again, hardship and difficulty aren't really what we think it is. They thought they were poor. The Laodiceans in Revelation 3 thought they were rich but we're poor. So we've got to see this the way Jesus does. Neither choice is ease and comfort. And ease and comfort isn't what we think it is either. Exodus 1.12 says, The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Affliction, persecution, test, trial. These things grow us. One only needs to look to church history to realize the truth of that. The first, second, early third century... were a time of unprecedented growth and revival. But the church was persecuted, sometimes nonstop. It ebbed and flowed, but for the most part, they were persecuted. They were hunted down. 
thrown in prison. That's where the catacombs under Rome comes from. They held service down there. They buried their dead there. Hiding from the Roman government. Until they didn't have to hide anymore. Emperor Constantine said, we're not going to persecute them. They're on the same status as every other religion. And then shortly after that, he took it a step farther. Christianity is now the state religion. If you're going to do any business, if you're going to be in anything in government, you have to be Christian. Well, Satan said, I should have thought of this earlier. Because that was the beginning of the end. The more they were persecuted, the more they grew. If you look at uh, countries whose Christians are being persecuted today, you see a thriving, powerful church. In every instance, where it's permitted or even mandatory, you see lethargic, weak, flaccid Christians. You see a weak church. Again, folks, this, is, this was never meant to be a peacetime operation. This was a wartime organization. We are soldiers. We're soldiers. We've got to expect to fight. We've got to expect to be attacked. And we need to attack as well. Amen. That's what we signed up for. Signing up for war... And expecting peace is insane. You're insane if you think that's the way things need to be or ought to be. I was in service with uh, a couple people in the Air Force. I was in the reserves for a few years. And uh, people were getting activated. One guy in particular we had some dealings with. I had to work with him as part of my job. And he was furious. He got activated. I was like, I truly didn't understand. I I signed up for this for the the college fund. I didn't sign up to go fight anything. Well, yeah, but you kind of did though, right? You didn't read anything of that contract you signed. And he was genuinely upset. He was upset for a while. He had to go to the sandbox. <clears throat> I'm like, well, you could have stayed a civilian and stay right here. It just blew me away. That that was his thought process. A lot of a lot of people think like that. I was hoping that, but if it would have happened, I would have been, well, there it is. I mean, it's, it is what I signed up for. It's what I'm training for every day. <clears throat> Hardship and difficulty perfect us. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Why do all these things work together for good? So that we can become Christ-like. So that we can be conformed to the image of His Son. 
Jesus Christ. That's the only way through, folks. If you would be Christ-like, it will be through hardship and difficulty, test and trial. We're not just going to snap our fingers. God's not just going to go poof. You're Christ-like. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That's not how this works. He is going to perfect us over time. Choice by choice. Circumstance by circumstance. Test by test. We are going to qualify or disqualify ourselves. We are going to move forward or we are going to move farther away. Our choices are so important. Hebrews 5 and 8 says, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Think about that for a moment. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Am I going to need to learn obedience? I would hope so. How am I going to learn obedience? Through suffering. John 14.15 says, If you love Me, keep My commandments. Would it be too much of a leap to put those two together and say that suffering teaches us to love God? I will learn to love Jesus through the things that I suffer. He will perfect me through the things that I suffer. Suffering is good. Trials are good for me. I don't like to endure them in my flesh. I don't. You don't. In our flesh, I want to be at ease in Zion. I want to be in the rear with the gear. That's right. Let someone else go out fighting 115 degree weather wearing mop four. I'm going to stay in the air-conditioned PX here and sip on a soda. Make the same money. Get paid the same. Hey, yeah, go get another haircut. I can afford two in a week. <laughs> Praise God. It'll never fall flat. <clears throat> but in my spirit, folks, I need that. I need to grow. The only way I can grow is through training. Military people, you know this. We've got to be constantly training. The more thou sweatest in training, the less thou bleedest in combat. Ever hear that? Amen. <coughs> we have got, we've got to be engaged, folks. When it comes time for training, when God puts us in a situation, chin up, push through it. Get it done. Because there's something awesome waiting for us at the end of that. There's nothing awesome waiting for me at the end of that PX run. Except a few pounds around my gut. It's at the end of training. That's what I'm looking for. Why do people dedicate themselves two, three, four hours a day in the gym? It's not because it's fun. It's not because it's relaxing. 
although it can be, it can be fun in a way, but it's hard work. It's discipline. I got to get up. I got to stay up late. There's things I can't do now because I'm going to the gym. I'm running track. Things I would love to eat, but I can't eat because I'm training. Disciplining myself. I'm discipling myself. So when God sends these situations to us, folks, please understand. It's because He loves you. If you're going through a circumstance and situation and someone else isn't, rather than say, why do I have to go through this and He doesn't? Instead, you can say, Jesus must love me more. Amen. I know he loves Sister Parker. (laughs) He loves you. That's why he puts us in those situations to grow us, to perfect us, to bring us into a state of Christ-likeness, a place where he can further use us in ministry. He loves us. He loves you. His thoughts toward you are continuous. When you're going through something, He feels it. He feels it. He's touched with the feeling of your infirmities. I promise you that. When you're in pain, He feels that. When you're in fear, He feels that. He he understands it. But He doesn't want you to live there. He doesn't ever want us to live there. He wants to deliver us from that. He wants to pull us out of those things. When we go into a situation... He doesn't want us to go into that situation with fear and with doubt and with trembling. He wants to go in boldly and confidently, understanding that the Lord our God walks beside us. And He's going forward ahead of us, clearing the obstacles, making sure that we go just the right way. He does that for you. He does it for me. Because He loves you. He's always loved you. The situations that some of you are dealing with. Situations that may go back decades. May go back to childhood. Disappointments. Hurts. Wounds. They're real, folks. And I'm with you. I would prefer myself just to gut it up, shove it down, pray through, and and move on. But that doesn't work. It doesn't work, folks. You need a healing. God needs to heal you of that. I don't know who it is I'm talking to. But some of you need a healing. And until you get the healing, you're going to continue to be in fear, doubt, have a poor self-image, not be able to understand confidently who you are in God, that God does love you unconditionally. He wants the very best for you. He wants to prosper you according to His definition. Prosper you in ministry. Prosper you in the kingdom. 
I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what your station is in life presently. God doesn't either. It's all the same to God. I don't care if you're the president or if you're some serf in in a third world country. Anything in between. It's all the same to God. God loves you. He wants to heal you. If you let Him. He hurts when you hurt. He does, folks. He most certainly does. And I pray the remainder of the service that we would open ourselves up. Let God touch that area of our lives that is wounded, that's sore, that's hurting. I used to ask, why would anyone want to live like that? Why wouldn't they just accept the healing of God? Until I realized I was doing that too. I didn't even know it. Now I know one reason. You don't even know. God didn't die on a cross so you could limp through life dragging stuff along with you. It's not why He died. He died so that you could be free. So that you could live from victory to victory. From faith to faith. So that you could be completely and utterly healed and delivered and restored. Amen. I'm done here. Let's all stand. Those that can, those that could, I ask that you come to the altar at this time.